afternoon. This afternoon, I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at the congregational worship that we offer up on a, a weekly basis as we gather together on the first day of the week, as we gather together on Wednesday night, the acts of our, of our worship, and, and more specifically, how we, how we go through these acts of worship. I wanted to start a look at this this afternoon, and as we go through 2017, and as we have this desire to, to continue to grow and to continue to give uh, a better service to God, not to say that we, uh, there are things that we do now that we are not good at, but to say that we are continually looking to see how we can be better for our Lord. I want to spend some time on that, on that mindset as we've already talked about the, the family and, and how we need to be looking at that and how we can grow in our families, how we can also grow in this idea of congregational worship. And when looking at that, we're going to look at things such as the Lord's Supper and presiding over the table and how we can grow in our, in our as we observe the offering, uh, or as we observe the Lord's Supper and as we t- uh, give of our means and we give up the offering, and as we look at prayer and the prayers that we offer. But today... We're going to start with congregational singing. Now, I was picking on Alan before, uh, at the end of the first service, saying, I always hate to preach on a, on a topic like this because I feel like it puts pressure on someone. But uh, as I know that you have probably uh, concurred with me, the singing this morning and this afternoon has been incredibly uplifting. I, I appreciate the songs that Alan has picked out for us, and I appreciate the way in which he has led us as we sing these praises to God. And as we think about that, and we think about these songs, and what it is we're doing as we sing, uh, sing these songs, I hope that we would ask, or we would kind of consider this question in the back of our mind, a question that was offered up by a man of the name of Ray Pritchard uh, on his website. He asked the question, what happened to congregational singing? Whatever happened to it? Ray Pritchard, Pritchard is a man, he's the, uh, he's the president of a, of a, a company that goes around uh, it's taking uh, the gospel and other things to various parts of the world uh, in, in a several different uh, ways in, of which they view their ministry. Uh, and in, in visiting a lot of denominational churches, he found that the practice of congregational singing was lacking altogether, or when there was congregations that would, that would per, uh, participate in congregational singing, it was a very lackluster uh, event. And he offered some reasons on his website. And again, these are, these are non-inspired reasons. Uh, but he offered some reasons why that may be the case. One was the song leader chose songs no one else in the audience knew. And so people just sat back and listened. Another one was the style was confusing to people. There were style issues. You have some of the older style of songs, maybe the Fanny Crosby style versus Hillsong and some of these newer, more contemporary uh, groups that are singing songs that maybe even were written a long time ago in a much different way. And people are kind of not for sure how to sing in that style, and so they didn't join in. Maybe it was the architecture of the building. Architecture of a building is not always conducive to singing. Uh, as uh, no talking with Charles, the sound in this building was probably a lot different before the carpet was put down. A whole lot different sound comes... Uh, from, uh, from the way a, d- a building is designed. Maybe there's not enough people. If you have an example of maybe 50 people inside of a building that's built for 500 people, well, that is going to hampen the, the singing. Again, if we're talking about songs that, are, that, are, that people uh, don't know, maybe we have too many new songs. 
that are presented too fast. People don't have an opportunity to learn them. Or that the worship leader was, was too wooden and too, too strict. Another thing that he came up with was musical instruments. They were so loud that the singing was overpowered. Nobody could hear what was being sung because the musical instruments were so loud. Um, the congregation were congregations that, exp- that did not expect members to sing. Maybe they had choirs or they had orchestras that did their singing for them. Maybe it was a congregation that lacked spiritual zeal. And maybe it was a congregation where the preacher or the leaders of the congregation didn't join in in the singing. Another thing that he found was that the entertainment culture has led us to have this expectation that we are to be entertained. We are to be the recipients of such singing. And lastly, he found that maybe the problem was that they had lost the theological truth that in singing, God is praised and He is accepting the praise of His, poor, of his people as they sing to Him. Now these were things that a, a non-inspired man uh, came up as he visited several other congregations. He looked at all these things and said, here's some problems I see. And in Churches of Christ, congregational singing is kind of, it has been held as a matter of principle. It is in opposition to instrumental music and to choirs, and rightfully so. But in some churches today, they are even beginning to look away from congregational singing. But more likely and more often, they are offering up singing that at very best, maybe would be described as half-hearted. So maybe we could ask ourselves today, what has happened to congregational singing? Maybe that would be a good question for us to consider and ask for ourselves. In seeking to ensure that congregational singing is in its proper place in worship and is is done in the proper manner in worship. To do that, we must first review what the basis is for congregational singing. The first one I want to point out is that it is a biblical precept. In the Messianic age, there was, a, was to be a time of singing. Turn back to Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah chapter 12. And read with me verses 1. Read verses 1 through 6 with me. It says, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. And He has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation, and that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known His deeds among the people. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great... In your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The, the time of Christ and the time thereafter was, going to, it was expected to be, looking forward to be, and should be a time of singing praises. Praises as to what God is, to what He has done, and to where we are looking forward to being with Him in the future. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, probably one of the more well-known passages when it comes to singing, a passage that we so oftentimes turn to, to to prove that the singing that is talked about, or the music that we are to hear in, in worship services, is to be the music of, of the heart and of the, the vocal cords, and is to be song. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. That is a commandment that we have as Christians, that we are to sing to one another. 
the prophets and the apostles make it absolutely clear. We are to be singing praises. But not only is it a precept, but it is also a practice. Over in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, consider this for a moment. As we think back to Jesus and to his life, Matthew 26 and verse 30, we read, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This, <clears throat> this was when the Lord's Supper is being instituted. And, and Jesus, Jesus, when he was with his apostles, sang hymns. It was something that our Lord and Savior participated in and practiced in. And, and we too, if we are going to emulate him, need to be emulating him in that manner. Heavenly beings and the saints who have passed away and, are, and, and will fill heaven. They will fill heaven with their praise. Revelation chapter 5 talks about that. It is going to be something that is going to happen even into eternity. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 through 14. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. This is that they are singing this, this new song that they sing. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels on the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature or every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and the Lamb be blessed and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worship. We see this, this idea of, of worship and singing praises depicted in the, the it's, it's, it's powerful and it's moving, the words that they're saying. And even over in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 7 verses 9 through 12, it says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and, and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were on their hands. And they cry, uh, cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And to all the angels who were standing around in the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Singing is something that Christ enjoined in. And so if we want to be like Christ, we should enjoy but another thing is, what are our attitudes towards singing? Because if it's not really something we, we don't like, if it's something that we really just don't enjoy doing, well, reading these verses about what eternity is going to be like, I have to ask you, what do you think is going to be going on for eternity? If that's something that I just, oh, I hate when we come in here to sing. I'll, I'll follow along with the words. That's just not something I really enjoy. That's going to be what eternity is going to be like and what we read. It is going to be a great part of eternity that we have the ability to sing with those who have went on before us and those who come after us and sing those praises to our great God who is in our midst. It is a wonderful, wonderful blessing that we have to look forward to. And so if such deemed it proper to join together in the praise of God, shouldn't we still today? Not only is it a precept and a practice, though, but it is also a principle. Again, another one of these passages that we so quickly turn to to say this shows that we must have singing instead of instrumental music. Colossians 3, verse 16. 
It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. One purpose of, of the singing that we are to be engaged in is to praise the Lord. That is what is inherently meant in the word hymn. That it is music, it is song, words that praise God. But another is to teach and to admonish one another. And it is to be enriched by the Word and and filled with the Spirit. These things come about in our congregational singing. And what we see in that is our singing is, is threefold. Our singing reaches upward to God. Our singing reaches outward to our brothers and sisters and our singing reaches inward to our own souls to give us strength. But not all congregational singing praises God. Not all congregational singing teaches one another. And not all congregational singing lifts up one another. And so to help us reach that goal, here are some suggestions that we, that we can find that, that will, will help us uh, create that kind of singing that will do exactly what we read about in Colossians chapter 3. When we consider the practice of congregational singing. And the first thing I want to look at when we consider how, how can we make sure that our congregational singing is doing these things, that it is praising God, and it's teaching one another a lesson, and it is lifting one another up. One of the first things we need to do is we need to look at our song leaders. What are some things that our song leaders can do? And you know, you might think to yourself, oh no, <laughs> And I've heard it said before, I heard it said today, and, and, and I've even joked about it myself. Oh no, he's going to start talking about leading time, keeping time and, and making sure you start off on the right pitch and, and doing everything, all the mechanics of song leading to a T. And that, that, is not, that is not what is necessary to make good song leading. It may be something that you enjoy. It may be something that you, that you have the ability to do. And if you have that ability, use that ability for the Lord. But what can song leaders do to help out with congregational singing? One of the first things song leaders can do is they can be enthusiastic. They can be proud and, and happy to be able to, to, to stand up and lead a congregation. Because the song leader generally sets the tone. They set the tone where their influence goes far beyond just announcing a number and starting the song. I remember when I, when I was younger, and one, of the, one of the members where I attended at, he, he encouraged me to lead singing one night. And I'm, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he pushed me because it, it helped me get out of my comfort zone. But I will never forget the, the advice he gave me. He said, all you have to do is get up there and say, ah. And we're going to jump in and we're going to carry the song. And, and I knew what he was trying to do was trying to help a, a young and a scared uh, young man who, who wanted to help out in this way. But what happened was I got up there and I said, ah. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to start over. Let's leave let's this song. It didn't work. There's so much more than just getting the song started, it begins with my, with my enthusiasm that happens before I walk in the door. So oftentimes it happens in my preparation in the morning as I wake up and I, and I think about what it is that I'm doing today. I'm going to sing praises to God. And I'm going to lead my brothers and sisters in these praises. And I'm excited to do that. And that means I'm not going to come in and I'm not going to say, let's sing this song right here and let's sing it. I'm going to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of thought into how 
My attitude is going to be about this. My demeanor. And it's going to reflect the nature of the song that I lead. And that also means that when I get up and I lead a song like He is in our midst, number 22, I'm not going to lead it like it's the most painful thing to consider that He is in our midst. And when I get up and I lead a song maybe about the crucifixion, maybe some of the songs, Night with Evan Pinion, I'm going to see that song with an attitude and, and the thoughts that's a those are sad words and those are those are hard words to sing but they fill us with joy because we know the meaning that comes behind them so that's one thing that song leaders can do we can be enthusiastic about what it is that we we have the ability to do and we can make sure that our demeanor reflects the nature of the songs another thing we can do is we can have familiar Lead with familiarity. I never can say that word very well. Familiarity. People respond to songs they know and songs they love. And that is a fact. A lot of times, if you go to a place, we, we were going to the nursing home sometimes, and I know pretty well for certain if we decided to sing Amazing Grace, just about everybody was going to be able to, to jump in with that and sing along with us because it's a very familiar song. People are accustomed to it. They know it. They love the words that are in that song. And people respond to songs they know and songs they love. And there's very few people who are able to take a new song and to catch on and sing it uh, without a, a few tries, without some practice. This is not to say that new songs are bad, though. This is not to say that we should never sing new songs. This is to say that we should make sure we should make sure to take the time that is necessary to learn new songs. And if, as a leader, we need to consider whether or not a song may be ready or a congregation may be ready to sing this song more, more often. We need to realize there is a time and there is a place to learn new songs, but that does not necessarily mean that it is every service. Um, being the time and the place. All that being said, again, song leaders don't have to be accomplished musicians. Thank goodness for that, because I could not lead songs. I I wouldn't be able to be a song leader because I am not an accomplished musician. I I failed at that pretty, pretty terribly through school, and I still fail at that now. But we do need to be thoughtful of the function that we can serve. But congregational singing is not just the song leader. It's not just the person who gets up in front of the congregation and and, and announces the song and and turns us there and and gets us started. It's not just the person who thought about it that night, the night before, that morning as they came to services. Congregational singing involves the congregation. So what can we as the congregation do when it comes to, to helping our congregational singing grow? One thing we can do is to sing... With understanding. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. It says, What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also, and I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. It is the words of the song, the words that we sing that express the praise and provide the edification. The melody, the melody is kind of the icing on the cake. The melody is the hook that oftentimes sticks that song, those words in our mind. And the melody is enhanced only when we pay careful attention 
to the words that we sing. Now, so oftentimes it's, it's easy. I've done this many times in my life to get those mixed up, to get that backwards, and to pick songs because I think this song sounds the best, and to, to, to love to sing songs because they have the best melody. But only when we really stop to think of the words that we're saying and to carefully consider each word as, as a, a promise to God. When we sing... So when we sing, dare to stand like Joshua, when we say that, sing the words to that song, are we truly going to go out into this world and stand like Joshua as we have promised God that we are going to do? Or are we just singing the words because it has a catchy tune and because we like that song? Do we really stop and think about the words that we say? If we will stop and consider that these words are, are, the, are exactly what provides the praise to God, and the edification and lifting up of one another, then our congregational singing will be enhanced. Another thing we need to learn to do is we need to make sure that we are singing from our hearts. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and Colossians 3, and verse 16, both talked about this. We are to make melody with our hearts. We are to sing with grace in our hearts. And so what we need to learn by that is that our, the words of the song should influence our emotions. Phil did back when we had filled uh, for the gospel meeting, t- talked about this and did such a wonderful job uh, describing worship and, and what worship was and how worship ties to emotion and how worship was a byproduct of living lives that have been affected by God. And I don't know how we can sing some of the songs. There, there are so many songs that as we sing them, they prick my heart. They, they cut so deep because we are singing songs that, that convey words that say God has affected our lives. God has stepped into our lives and has, has saved us from our sins and, and, and given us these great blessings that we have and our hopes for the future and our hopes for heaven. And when I sing those songs and when I think about that, that song, In Christ Alone, we sing that song every now and then we sing that. Uh, on, on a third Sunday, we sing that song. I, I am always so deeply moved to think of the power and the love of our Savior for me. The songs that we sing can and should influence our emotions. They will only do that when we contemplate the words, when we contemplate what it is we're saying. We also need to add to that that we sing with our voices. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalms chapter 51, verses 14 and 15. Sometimes when we think that we are singing with our hearts, I think we kind of get the idea that we are going to sing in our hearts. And we sing with that inner voice. Maybe we sing the words a little bit to ourselves and, and not so much allowing them to escape our lips but we are to sing with our voices to God. In Psalm 51, verses 14 through 15, it says, Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, that my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. You don't get the idea that, that the, the psalmist here, that David is talking about something that he, he just kind of wants to utter in private to, to, to God. He wants to 
to, to declare God's praises. He says, to, to open my mouth, open my lips. David, so many times, expressed a desire to, to publicly let people know about God and the mightiness of God and the awesomeness of God. We talked about that a little bit this morning in, in, our, in our Bible class, and, and David was known for being a man with a mouth. He, he, could, he had a way with words, and he would get out, and like when he got on the field in front of Goliath and, and was spewing out these, not threats, as they say, we say in school, it's not a threat, it's a promise. He's telling him, what's going to happen to you? David was very vocal in those sort of ways, and he was extremely more vocal in his praise of God. He wrote that we are to praise God aloud. We are to, as Colossians says again in verse 3 and 16, we are to teach, we are to admonish one another. But the only way that we can truly do that, the only way I can hope to teach and admonish my brothers and sisters is if they can hear me singing. If I am singing in such a way that they can hear and maybe they can feel my presence as well. Psalms chapter 122 and verse 1 talks a little bit about this. Psalm 122 and verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We see this idea here, David talking about being assembled. Not just David saying, I was glad to go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when we, when as a group, we were assembled. When they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Singing with others. Having my, singing with, with our presence. That I am there and I am singing with you. goes so far to helping our congregational singing be better. You have that old saying, practice makes perfect. We have every opportunity to get together, but especially on the, on the Sunday and on every Wednesday, we have opportunities to get together and practice. I don't think we always think about that. We've already read, this is what heaven's going to be like. We have an opportunity to get together and practice, joyfully looking forward to that day when we sing together before the Lord. One way that we can do this is to make sure our presence is felt is by sitting closer together. You know, we do that on, on the third Sunday sometimes. You know, well, every time on the third Sunday, we gather together on one side, and the singing always feels so much more fuller, and it's not because of the sound. It's because of the fact that I know my brothers and sisters are sitting right beside me, right in front of me, right behind me, and our hearts are joined in praise to God, and that is edifying. And I know that that is praising to God. And that is what our congregational singing should be engaged in. Congregational singing is a spiritual activity with great, great potential. It offers hymns of praise to God. Hebrews 13 verse 15 tells us constitutes spiritual sacrifices. And as Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 commands us to do, it teaches us to admonish one another and to encourage one another. Whether congregational singing fulfills its potential, though, depends on us. Do we appreciate the precept? Do we appreciate the practice? Do we appreciate the principle that is behind the singing? Whether we sing to God as intended, with our whole being, 
When we sing to God with, with mind and heart and voice, all these things will lead up to whether or not our congregational singing fulfills the purpose that it was designed to do. I pray that as a congregation of God's people, we will always have the attitude of David when it comes to singing. Psalms 146, verse 1 and 2, David said, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I pray that we will always have that same sort of attitude. This afternoon, if there, if there is something that has crept into your life, that has separated you from this God that we praise, that has caused you to realize that you have a need for repentance, you have a need to, to turn back to Him, I want you to know that God's invitation to you, as we are getting ready to sing number, number 285, Zion's call, His call to you, is to return to Him. And if you, have never, if you have never accepted the gift of grace that He offers through His Son, through the blood of Jesus on that cross, through believing that He is the Son of God and confessing that, and through repenting of your sins and being baptized into, uh, into His burial, this song reminds you over and over again, Zion's call, it is heaven's call that comes to you and it is your your responsibility and your blessing to answer that call and if there is some way this afternoon that we can help you with that i encourage you to come forward right now as we stand and as we sing